Welcome to podcast number 42. These podcasts all come from a series of four books I have written entitled In Defense of Christianity. Volume 1, Freedom, is now available in ebook, paperback, and audible at ronaldmesser.com or on Amazon and Audible. Today's podcast is taken from the end notes of chapter 6, volume 1. This podcast is entitled, The Purpose of the Earth. Scientists claim that Earth, the solar system, the Milky Way galaxy, the cosmos, and man were all created by accident. Bertrand Russell, a mathematician and philosopher, said that man was an accidental collocation of atoms. Christians need to understand that there are two sciences. The first is practical science based on temporal laws. The second is theoretical science based on opinion or personal interpretation. Theoretical science is nothing but theories until proven. Some theories, of course, can never be proven or disproven, such as the existence of God, the origin of life, the purpose of the earth, or the existence of life after death. Obviously, science can be both inductive and deductive. Inductive science begins with facts and draws conclusions. Deductive science begins with theories and organizes evidence to prove it. Ultimately, true science must end in the lab, where theories are validated by repetition using irrefutable facts. However, when the purpose of science is to validate opinion rather than to discover truth, then science is no longer science. When theories are given as facts, then science becomes mere propaganda. Science today, in political circles, is being used to further the agenda of the left. It becomes opinion supported by opinion, a very shaky foundation. Science should be apolitical, devoted only to the truth and not to further a cause. Some of scientists' pet theories are still just theories, such as the Big Bang, the giant heat death, the age of the universe, the origins of man, and so on. Probably no theory is more abused than the theory of evolution. Clearly, evolution in a species exists, but those who claim that because of evolution, God doesn't exist, or man was created by accident, or man came from monkey, etc., commit the fallacy of false analogy. They carry the theory of evolution further than scientific evidence allows. When man uses science as authority to validate personal opinions that can never be proven, they commit the fallacy of appeal to authority, or if they appeal to the number of people who support their claim, they commit the fallacy of appeal to majority. Neither are valid arguments. Practical science appeals to law, which is exquisitely and unerringly ordered. Theoretical science appeals to authority, which is subject to the preconceived notions of the scientist. It is entirely irrational for science to claim there is no God. Individually, people may believe what they wish to believe, but to remain science, science must remain neutral on the existence of God. The only rational claim is that they don't know and leave it at that. Agnosticism in science is justified. Atheism is not. A scientist may be an atheist, but science cannot be. Science must remain open to all possibilities where there is no proof to the contrary. It is practical science that has advanced technology. 
Practical science relies strictly on the principle of causality. Practical science advances as man increases his understanding of the temporal laws that govern Earth, the solar system, and indeed the universe. Consider Earth as a sphere, the solar system as a sphere, the galaxy as a sphere, and so on. God organized a complete set of laws that act independently to govern every sphere, else nothing could exist. The independence of law was designed to give us agency. God effectively removed himself, giving man the appearance of being alone so that faith could grow. God is seen only with spiritual eyes and not with the natural eye. With or without a belief in God, science will continue to harness the laws of the universe to achieve man's purposes. In a strictly functional way, it doesn't matter if a scientist is a theist or an atheist. He or she can still be a great scientist because law knows no religion. The search for truth should govern all scientific inquiry. Any scientist who is afraid of truth should seek a different occupation. Contrary to what atheists would have us believe, there is no shred of scientific proof that God does not exist. In fact, the evidence for God is on the side of the Christian because laws create a perfectly ordered universe and perfect order suggests intelligent design. To a Christian, natural law and the order of the universe suggest there is a God. To a true believer, all laws suggest intelligent design, and intelligent design suggests God. Scientific law will never contradict the existence of God. Science creates its own conundrum by willfully denying intelligent design in the face of fantastic order everywhere they look. They simply avoid the issue by claiming that all creation is by accident, regardless of the falsifying probability. The argument of science is simply this. There is no God. Therefore, there can be no intelligent design. There is no intelligent design. Therefore, the appearance of intelligent design is caused by accident. The argument is circular. It begs the question and has no logical validity. Regardless of the heated climate, Christians should avoid contention, for their testimony is nothing unless validated by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will not validate one's anger or his arrogance. The Holy Ghost validates only truth, not orthodoxy. The Holy Ghost cares nothing for the authority of man. All of mankind may hold one opinion and still be wrong. Opinion has no effect on truth regardless of the authority of the person holding that opinion. The fable, The Emperor's New Clothes, illustrates the point beautifully. The entire town praised the Emperor's New Clothes until a child pointed out that he was completely naked. The fable becomes even more poignant when it becomes clear to everyone that the Emperor is naked. Yet the town, along with the nobleman and the Emperor himself, maintained the fantasy and continued the procession through the streets. It concludes with the following words. The Emperor shivered for he suspected they were right. But, he thought, this procession has got to go on. So he walked more proudly than ever, as his nobleman held high the train that wasn't there at all. It is much like the argument against intelligent design. Everything, natural law, the earth, the solar system, the galaxy, the universe, cries intelligent design. However, because science declares there is no God and no creator, the theory of the accidental universe proceeds on and on and on because, as with the emperor, the fantasy once concocted must persist 
and the procession must go on. Otherwise, scientists would have to admit they were wrong. It is much like the argument against free will, when we must have free will to continue the argument. Science is obsessed with the origins of things. One should never confuse atheism with scientific objectivism. Atheism, like theism, is a system of religious beliefs. The only difference is the choice of gods. Atheists cling to the agnosticism of science, for they reason that if they can find the origin of life and the universe, they can lay to rest once and for all the belief in the existence of God. Atheists grasp at straws to prove their atheism. Where truth is not relevant, science is dead. Those who preach atheism appear to overlook the fact that atheism is a religion governed by fanatics whose God is chance. They worship chance with as much religious fervor as the ancient aesthetics worshiped God. Fanaticism is not partial to any religion. Even Christians differ on life in the pre-existence. I side with those Christians who believe that life has always existed and will always exist, that we were spirit children of God before coming to earth, that earth was created by God for his children, and that we are here for a purpose. It appears illogical that God would order the universe and yet not have a plan for his children. God is a God of law and order, and everything he does, he first designs a plan. I appeal to the book of Job in the Old Testament. In chapter 38 we read, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fashioned, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. We were those morning stars. We were those sons of God. We shouted for joy when God created the earth just for us. We wanted to come to earth and gain a physical body. We wanted our agency. The purpose of earth was to increase our agency. Scientists tell us that no two snowflakes are alike. No two leaves on a tree are alike. How much greater are the differences of human beings who are endowed with high intelligence and free will? Every individual on earth is unique and has a unique purpose, foreordained in heaven. I believe we all have the ability, if we seek for it through prayer and meditation, to discern what our purpose is, even if it takes a lifetime. Everyone has gifts of the Spirit. Everyone is good for something. <laughs> it is how we use our gifts that matter. Because of agency, we may use them for good or evil. Unless we know why we are here on earth, life has no meaning, no purpose, no reason for being. Socrates said, The unexamined life is not worth living. We must know the why to appreciate the who, where, what, when, and how. The greatest questions on earth are, where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going after this life? The greatest quest on earth is the search for truth. Linda, I have listed 40 reasons for which I believe God created the earth just for man. It's not definitive, but it is comprehensive. Will you please read the list? I will be your list reader. 1. To gain a physical body. 2. To experience opposition. 3. To be able to choose for ourselves. 4. To develop faith in God. 5. To prepare to meet God. 6. To gain experience. 7. To gain wisdom. 
8. To learn obedience. 9. To serve our fellow man. 10. To learn to control power righteously. 11. To learn how to overcome adversity. 12. To become like God. 13. To increase in freedom, agency, and liberty. 14. To develop our potential. 15. To increase in intelligence. 16. To exercise free will through obedience to law. 17. To know ourselves. 18. To distinguish good from evil. 19. To develop the virtues of Christ in adversity. 20. To overcome temptation. 21. To understand God. 22. To become subject to law. 23. To understand and control law. 24. To appreciate paradise. 25. To prove ourselves worthy to live with God. 26. To be enticed by both God and Satan. 27. To discover true value of things. 28. To increase in light and truth. 29. To learn what is real. 30. To gain knowledge. 31. To earn a greater resurrection. 32. To create happiness and experience joy. 33. To know unhappiness and experience sorrow. 34. To understand pure love. 35. To gain self-reliance. 36. To overcome the natural man. 37. To understand the spiritual and the physical. 38. To understand consequences of law. 39. To put our faith on trial. And 40. To advance our eternal progression. That is quite a list, husband. Each one could be its own podcast. Can you sum it up? As I have said before, earth is the gate upon which eternity swings. Mortality is a brief stop on an eternal journey, not the final destination. Are you saying that everything we do here affects our immortality, our eternal life, our resurrection, and our everlasting future? That is exactly what I am saying. The idea that man is an animal, or man is a machine, belittles man. It is mankind's biggest false analogy. It reduces us to robots. It reduces us to cows out in a pasture who eat, sleep, reproduce, and die. Wasn't it the philosopher René Descartes who said, I think, therefore I am? Yes, and the key word is think. The ability to think elevates us above the animals. Christ said, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God intends for us to use our intelligence. No animal, as ingenious as they may appear, remotely approaches the intelligence of mankind. We did not descend from apes. If apes share much of our genetic code, it is simply because they are physiologically similar. But there is as much distance between man and monkey as there is between earth and the sun. Organized law, not evolution, accounts for the existence of man. And God organized law. Precisely. It is called intelligent design. However, we are more than the temporal laws that govern earth life. You mean we have an immortal spirit that is not subject to temporal law. Read the word of the Apostle Peter in Second Peter 1.4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What do you think Peter means by partakers of the divine nature? Peter answers the question for us. Let me continue. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, 
and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to faith, virtue, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity, we are told to give all diligence to gaining knowledge. By obeying the virtues, we gain a greater knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the only way we can know Him is to become more like Him. Because we have a divine nature, Peter is teaching us how to become more like the Savior of all mankind. He says it will bring us to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we must look at the world both through our temporal eyes so that we can understand temporal law and our spiritual eyes so that we can understand spiritual law. A launched rocket whose course is off one degree may miss its mark by a million miles. Earth is our launching pad for eternity. A fraction off course may send us into eternal regret. The spiritual decisions we make here affect our eternal destination. Those who make decisions on earth with that end in mind will earn wisdom. And all the treasures of the earth that matter, that is, those treasures they can take with them, will make their eternities much richer. Those who seek only the treasures of the earth, though richer than a king, living in luxury, will live in poverty of spirit hereafter. That which we cannot take with us, that which is subject to entropy, will melt back into the earth like house treasures blackened and deformed by fire. In fact, the Lord said that the earth shall melt with fervent heat. That which we can take with us will give us joy and freedom forever with God. How do we look through spiritual eyes? Have you ever lain alone late upon your back on a hillside, in the sloping lawn in the silence of a soft summer night, admiring the shooting stars as they streak across the star-studded sky against the blue-black velvet ink of deep space darkness? or sat alone on the front porch in the early hours of a dew-dip morning, watching hummingbirds suck nature's natural nectar. And here I thought you had ice in your veins, and looked at everything like a frog you were about to dissect. I think you have a poet somewhere inside you. As a child of the South and a cousin of nature, I was often found sitting in a squeaky swing on the front porch in the early hours, before the dewy dawn had departed watching the thumb-sized hummingbirds suck nectar from the honeysuckle. Some of the hummingbirds were no larger than a bumblebee. What is it they say? You can take a boy out of the south, but you can't take the south out of the boy? At night, I was often found reclining on my back in our yard alone, lying late, my soft sloping along my bed, my palms my pillow, the chinaberry tree in my canopy looking up at the ceiling of enchanting stars, twinkling against the black velvet Milky Way looking into the sparkling canopy of glittering mystery, wondering. You should have been an astronomer. One does not have to be an astronomer to learn from the stars. They give perspective. A star can be brighter than a million suns, yet appear as dim as a distant candle. For a moment, they all shine just for you. Rather than make you feel small, they make you feel that you are the most important thing in the universe, as if you own them all. Some own worldly wealth, which will eventually rust to dust or shrink back into the soil. But we all own forever that which we comprehend. And that is why you listed 40 reasons God sent us to earth. I suspect there are many more than 40. 
We fight over an acre of land on the earth, a mansion filled with fine furniture only to inherit a narrow grave, a form-fitting coffin or only furniture, and the silky satin that once gave rest to soft flesh gives no comfort to cold bones. But we all own the stars in heaven. I understand what you mean. I think I can never look at the stars without comprehending the majesty of God and feeling larger than life. As a young boy, I could ride a shooting star or swing on the tail of a comet. I wish I could recall those halcyon days. Sometimes we are so bedraggled from looking down that we forget to look up. Some of the reasons you listed for coming to earth were to gain experience, to gain wisdom, to increase in freedom, agency, and liberty, to develop our potential, to increase in intelligence, to know ourselves, to distinguish good from evil, to overcome temptation, to become subject to law, to be enticed by both God and Satan, to increase in light and truth, to learn what is real, to gain knowledge, to experience joy and sorrow, to overcome the natural man. You can't do that without also experiencing strong opposition. We can't remain in Neverland. We're passengers on spaceship Earth traveling through infinity. The stars are our guide and we are in the pilot seat. Earth is part of infinity and we are all infinite beings. The universe is not great because it glitters. The universe is great because we are in it. The stars will burn out in their appointed time and new ones will take their place but we will shine forever. Our life is not only a physical journey through time and space, our life is a spiritual journey through the timelessness of eternity. We ride high on the tide of the ocean sky as we sit on the back of a comet, the dolphins of the night sky. Old man, I think you still have the boy in you. We once lived beyond those glittering stars on another planet with God, where all galaxies are governed by a single law and all creation revolves around his throne. Perhaps the greatest lesson we can learn is that Earth is an important part of that journey. Earth spins, but sin stops our eternal progression. And because eternity doesn't stop, sin sends us sailing backwards. Repentance halts the backward motion, and obedience to law moves us forward again on our journey across the sea of stars back to God. With sin, our universe stops. With repentance, our universe restarts. And you said I was the poet. Those who progress are those who comprehend who they are, where they have been, why they are here, and where they are going, not in time and space, but in their quest for perfection, in their search for truth, and in their desire to become Christ-like. A comet may travel billions of miles through the galaxy and come back to its starting point. Yet, like debris carried by ocean currents, comprehends nothing. It travels through darkness and lives on borrowed light. A comet is an illusion of glory, the peacock of the sky strutting across the universe, its vast tail turning away from the sun blown by solar winds. It does not have light in itself. It reflects the light of the sun, yet learns nothing about light. Man alone is capable of reflecting on the light that reflects on him till he himself absorbs the light and lets it shine. A comet cannot change its course, but we can. The bright side of the moon knows no more about light than the dark side. Only man has the intelligence to understand opposition and to comprehend light. 
Only man can learn from experience. Only man has the agency to repent of his sins, correct his course, and turn back toward God. Earth is the shortest leg of our long journey, but in many ways, perhaps, it is the longest, lengthened by slow misery. We sow experience, we cultivate sorrow, we reap wisdom, and the wisdom we harvest here we cherish for eternity. The light we gain here will grow brighter and brighter through eternity till it shines with a fullness. As Peter says, we have a divine nature. I will end this podcast with your favorite line. Earth is the hinge upon which the wide gate of eternity swings. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.